And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Thursday edition of The Real Investment Show. Here we get uh, going for the month of March. And uh, first couple of days have been all over the place. First day, trading day of March was supposed to be generally a good day. Uh, that's generally when people put money to work in the markets, but nope, Monday was terrible. Tuesday, well, that was much, uh, sorry, Tuesday was terrible. Monday uh, was kind of the end of the month, so that really didn't matter. But uh, yesterday, markets had a really nice rally. Um, unfortunately, we're just not going anywhere. Uh, we've come off these recent lows have been really kind of consolidating in a pretty tight range over the last couple of days, even though despite, you know, we have this continued uh, issue with what's going on in Russia. And I thought it was interesting because if you think about it, um, you know, the bearish case, right? Uh, if the bears ever had the perfect setup for a bear market, this is it, right? You've got war, you've got uh, interest rates about to rise, monetary policies reversing, you got overvalued markets, you know, you just got every, all the stars are aligned for a really major bear market, yet stocks continue really just to hang in here. We've had a very mild decline at this point, simply kind of flirting around here between, you know, 8 and 10% below their uh, previous all-time highs. And again, a big reason for that is corporate share buybacks. Corporate share buybacks are at an all-time record right now. In fact, we have the, the, a, almost a record announcement of share buybacks for the entire year already done in the first part of this year. You know, at this rate of share buybacks, I figure the whole market will be private in about 10 years. So we may not, you know, pretty soon we may not have a show to do to talk about financial markets anymore because uh, companies will have bought all their shares back. But seriously, um, that is one of the reasons corporate share buybacks have accounted for uh, almost a almost 100% of the entire net buying of the markets over the last several years and have accounted, we did a story on this recently on our website. So if you go look up share buybacks uh, on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com, we wrote an article talking about how share buybacks have accounted for 40% of the stock market rally since 2011. So if you think about that, that's a tremendous amount of buying support for stock prices and explains why despite all of the wreckage that's going on through the markets and, and war in Russia and, and rising interest rates and all this stuff, you know, spiking commodity prices, stock markets just kind of hang in there and really have not done a whole lot of, of being really negative. And this is why, you know, we've been very cautious about getting very negative in portfolios. We have reduced equity risk in here. We have put on hedges earlier in the year uh, to help mitigate some of this uh, mild volatility. But you know, those expectations of much bigger bear market declines just really have not come to fruition at all at this point. And it's really frustrating a lot of a lot of portfolio managers that had everything lined up, you know, for the first time in years, they had, you know, the wind at their back for a really major bear market, and it just hasn't occurred yet. Now, let me put in there the yet, because again, there's still plenty of risk here going forward. We do have overvalued markets. We do have a reversal of liquidity. We do have the Fed hiking rates. Those type of things have been consistent 
with much bigger drawdowns in markets. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen, but it certainly suggests that there is risk in markets, particularly as we get further out into this year. We are going to see slower economic growth. We are going to see a reversion in a lot of these uh, monetary programs that we had over the last couple of years. All that liquidity has now been used up. That's coming out of the market. And, and gas prices. Um, this morning, uh, new announce, uh, they just did uh, predictions here for the next couple of months that gas prices will be more than $4 a gallon at the pump in Texas, right? In Texas. So, you know, if you live in California, that's probably what, $350 a gallon? I'm not sure what it is with taxes out there, but, you know, it, it's going to be a lot higher, um, you know, in California, New York, uh, up in the, in the Northeast areas. But, you know, in Texas, where normally we have some of the lowest gas prices in the country, that's about to be about $4 a gallon by the time you get to the summer. That's going to be a sticker shock to consumers who are having less money to spend already because of inflation and food and energy and other costs. Now they're going to be filling up with $4 a gallon gas. And again, as we've talked about importantly before, you know, the, the problem with the way that we measure CPI is that we strip out food and energy when we talk about inflation. So when the Fed talks about inflation, oh, we've got 7% inflation, that's X food and energy. However, that's what people buy every week. And so if I only have a paycheck coming in of you know, $2,000 a week or $1,000 a week or whatever I've got coming in in terms of a paycheck, and I have to spend more at the gas pump and more on my food, well, that means I have less money to spend elsewhere. That will impact economic growth. And more importantly for consumers, again, when we take a look at retail sales, we go, look, retail sales are doing great, but that's not really the case. And as we've talked about before, it's because we measure it in dollars, not volume. You don't buy more groceries. You don't buy more gasoline. You just pay more for them. And so that's a very different output in terms of when we're talking about retail sales because gasoline and food are in that retail sales calculation. So again, this is going to impact markets going forward. This has been one of the reasons why it's been frustrating because those that are betting and have positioned their portfolios for a much bigger decline haven't gotten it yet because of what's happening with corporate share buybacks. Now, a couple other stories out this morning, of course. Uh, still continued to go uh, with this uh, whole Russia-Ukraine uh, situation. Nothing's really evolved there. You know, we're you know, looking at you know, potential cities now that are starting to fall to uh, Russian occupation. This isn't great stuff. Uh, imagination, but talks are scheduled. And as we discussed recently in our article, yesterday, Jerome Powell uh, was in front of Congress. He will have day two of his congressional testimony today. And as we suggested uh, last week in our article talking about geopolitical risk, that did get announced yesterday. Uh, Jerome Powell said they're probably on track for a 25 basis point hike. And that was one of the reasons the market rallied so strongly yesterday. I, I, you know, the markets have been very negative. And, and I've said that any good news here would lead to a rally in the markets. And he said yesterday, basically confirmed that they're looking to do a 25 basis point hike instead of 50. That eased that pressure off the markets. But the reason was, of course, geopolitical risk. And that was the function of what we thought and what we wrote about is that we would start to see more mentions of geopolitical risk by the Federal Reserve in their commentaries because that does impact consumer sentiment and consumer psychology, which is the whole thing around and behind doing quantitative easing programs and to help lift stock prices in order to boost consumer confidence. 
it's not surprising to see them to start to mention geopolitical risk and potentially soften their stance. Now, when we have that Fed meeting, we'll get their statement post-meeting. And of course, that's where everybody's going to be looking very, very hard at just how hawkish at this point the Fed is going to be. Again, we do have inflationary problems at this point. No, no doubt about that. The Fed realizes they need to hike rates to help slow inflation, but we're already starting to see very slow rates of economic growth. The Atlanta, as we noted yesterday, the Atlanta Fed now predicting 0% growth uh, for the economy in the first quarter. That's not really conducive <laughs> to uh, growing markets and growing, uh, and growing assets over time. So again, uh, you know, this is just one of those things this morning, uh, Michael Leibowitz is gonna join us and we're gonna talk a little bit more about Jerome Powell, what he said yesterday, kind of what the expectations are for his, his, his meetings today. Talk a little bit about interest rates, talk a little bit about oil prices, and of course, bear market strategies, all of that uh, coming up on today's show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Be right back with more of The Real Investment Show right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. FAVSA. It's FAFSA season, that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake. Our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid, the, the FAFSA. FAFSA, Thursday, March 10th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So this morning, it is, of course, Thursday, and that means that the formidable Michael Lee Woods uh, joining us this morning as well. Talk a little bit about everything. You know, we're going to cover, you know, Powell, the Fed, and talk about bear market strategies, all the kinds of stuff. I just noticed a headline here. Diverse artists to write and illustrate new Dr. Seuss-inspired books. Can we just hmm. stop now? Can, can we just can we just stop? Can they just leave it alone? Just, just look, if you didn't like Dr. Seuss, just don't try to revive it. <laughs> just just leave it alone. If you didn't like Dr. Seuss, there's no hope. Uh, well, I'm just you saying, know. I mean, if you got problems with Dr. Seuss, just <laughs> let it die. Okay. Just it's like it's like this new Batman movie that came out. Which one? The, the latest one. There's only been a dozen. I know. Well, the latest one is a three hour myopic of the Batman. Right. And it's like this whole movie you could watch in like 45 minutes, really. And it's three hours long. It's just look, leave it. DC needs to just stop because, you know, look, sell the franchise to Marvel and sell, give it to Disney. They do a much better job with superheroes. So or Pixar just for editing. <laughs> It <laughs> could be that, too. <laughs> anyway, all right, I, I'm in a bad mood this morning, so just bear with me. <laughs> On bright side, Hillary Clinton has decided as a show of solidarity that she'll stop using Russian hackers. And with that, let's go to Michael Leibowitz. <laughs> but I'm bump. The Mike, formidable good. Michael Leibowitz. I'm in, I, I like that. So, good morning. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, so Jerome Powell yesterday uh, talking in front of Congress. He's got day two of that conversation today. A couple of things not surprising. We kind of wrote about this last Friday, talking about geopolitical risk. That's been, you know, often one of the reasons that the Fed kind of stands down just a bit. Um, and not surprisingly, yesterday in the forefront of his testimony, mentioning geopolitical risk and also, you know, talked about a 25 basis point. He, he did recognize that there is inflation. The Fed does need to hike interest rates. But there was a lot of expectation just a couple of weeks ago that it was going to be a 50 basis point hike at the, the first meeting to be more aggressive. James Bullard, you know, out pounding the table, the Fed needs to be much more aggressive. Uh, but Jerome Powell yesterday saying, hey, they're going to start out with a 25 basis point hike and then kind of continue from there. But it, it, then that, of course, that's why the market rallied a good bit yesterday on that kind of that softer footing from the Fed, kind of ease some of those concerns. Um, you, you know, what do we expect here from him today, most likely? Probably more of the same. So he, you know, one day in front of the Senate, one in front of the House, and it tends to be the same. The question will be what questions does he get? The House is probably likely to be a little bit more uh, lively, mm -hmm. better, you know, more. There's more of them. Questions. <laughs> more of them, but tougher questions, too. Probably a lot more around inflation. Uh, you know, when, when I you kind of retrospect what's going on, when COVID hit, the Fed could not ease quick enough and with more urgency. Mm -hmm. Just massive numbers were being thrown about. They brought Fed funds to zero immediately. Just that the at the time, the amount of QE was unfathomable, right? Now we're at the other end of that spectrum, and it's amazing how slow they are to remove any of it. And, and I think the takeaway is that the economy, the markets, much more the markets than the economy, mm -hmm and sentiment to some degree, which drives the markets and the economy, becomes dependent on the drug of choice, right? On, on what the Fed is doing. We saw this in 2018. You know, we saw this from 20, after the financial crisis was over, from called 2010, 2011 to 2018, the Fed could not really get off QE. Every mm -hmm. time they got off it, they had to get back on it. Then in 2018, they tried to do QT, which is the reverse. and that ended, that was a disaster. disaster and I barely got any QT done. <laughs> right. So every time we go through an episode like this, we need more and more stimulus and we can't get off that stimulus. And that's, you know, from a long term macro perspective, that's a problem. Now, from a trading perspective, Lance, you're correct. The, you know, he basically said they're doing 25. Mm -hmm. Now, two days ago, the market was actually priced for only a 90% chance of 25. So the bond market two days ago was telling you that the Fed's doing 25 and a very, very slight chance they do nothing, right? Right. So, you know, we always try to ascribe reasons why markets did this, that, and the other. And yes, you could say the market rallied because of the Fed. Mm -hmm. I would also argue it was just grossly oversold. <laughs> Sentiment was horrendous. Yeah. And the Russian situation didn't get worse. Right. right. Very technical. Uh, you know, so we'll see. I mean, the Fed's going to do 25. They're not going to mention QT at the March 16th meeting. So it seems pretty cut and dry. Um, that said, you know, everything going on with Russia is just hurting. Uh, it's just creating a bigger inflation story. Mm -hmm. 
It's not going to show up in this number or the next number because they use three month lag numbers for energy. Right. So that's not going to show up for a few more months, a couple more months. Uh, but, you know, it's clear. I mean, if you have four dollar gasoline in Texas, can yeah. only imagine what we have. Okay. And we can only here in D.C., we can only on the East Coast, we can only imagine what California has. Right. Right. A lot of our places were already over four dollars a gallon. And, you know, I've seen pictures from California above five, even six in some places. And look, my, my son uh, lives in Germany. They buy it by the liter. So you talk about expensive here. We're, we're talking about buying it to the gallon. You know, he buys right. by the liter, which, is, you know, that's, you know, very expensive in, in Germany. So it, it is interesting. There's a, a brand always puts little comments on my uh on my sheets and my, my uh, script sheets in the morning here on my, on my computer. It says, I don't usually talk about my expensive trips, but I just got back from the grocery store. <laughs> and, and this is, and that's a true kind of fact. I mean, you know, you know, and unfortunately when we talk about inflation, we talk about inflation, X food and gas. And that's what I was you know noting at the opening this morning, you know, while we look at inflation, X food and, and energy, that's the things that eat up the the family budget the most. And those are things they have to buy. They buy them every week and they don't really have a choice and they're not buying more stuff. They're just paying a whole lot more for it. Right. And and it's also not appreciated. So energy is about seven and a half percent of CPI. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what we spend on gas and heating. I, you know, we could have a debate about that all day, but energy is in every single thing that we buy. And if it's not in everything, maybe it's not in an apple to get to clean that apple and to get it to the supermarket. And for us to buy from the supermarket involves energy for transportation, for storage, for storage in our house. Uh, so everything you do in life, whether you know it or not, you know, not this isn't just about pumping gas into your car or heating your house. Everything involves energy to some degree. Mm -hmm. And you know, the transportation companies are really going to get hit with this. You know, the, I saw this morning oil hit 116 a barrel. Right. You know, it was a dollar. I mean, 100 a barrel a week ago. Mm -hmm. And gas prices are extremely correlated with crude oil prices. So, you know, I did a little math on this yesterday. For every dollar increase in crude oil, gas at the pump goes up about two and a half to three cents. Correct. So they're up another 30 cents give or take a little over the last few days, right? That's, it may not seem like a lot, but that's a decent amount. And it's very, uh, yeah, I'm actually, we're actually both writing about oil. Yeah. I called Lance uh, yesterday <laughs> and I go, hey, I'm writing this really interesting article and I'm dissecting oil and talking about this, that, and the other. And Lance goes, hey, I'm writing the same article. <laughs> so so for our readers, you're going to get a double dose of oil right. uh, with next week or so. Uh, but, but, it, we, but you know, our binds both gravitated there because it's such an important topic. And it's, it, you know, it affects, affects us directly at the pump, indirectly, like, uh, you know, with the Apple example. Mm -hmm. And then, it, I, you know, I contend that it's probably the biggest gauge of inflation. You know, drive 10 miles and you're going to see 20 neon signs with big oil gasoline prices flashing. Yeah. Yep. Right. You don't see that with any other product. Right. Yeah, and, it's, and it's, actually, it is. And, and again, I make a gripe here. Right. You know, and it's the thing that you do fill up every week. And when you go by, and you fill up, you look at, how, you know, how much is going to cost. And it says, you know, it says right there, you know, four dollars a gallon for premium or whatever it is. 
you know, you don't, you don't, you know that you're paying more at the grocery store, but you know, when you go to the grocery store, you tend to just kind of shop and buy the stuff that you need and you don't really price compare that much, but with, you know, because there's so many items, right? You don't really remember what you paid for, you know, a dozen eggs last week versus a dozen eggs this week, but gas, you remember that last week it was less than $4 a gallon. Now it's more than $4 a gallon. You remember that. And, and, and those are those kind of anchoring points that we pick up as consumers. And, and it does affect our psychology because, you know, it's, it's one of those things that when we, you know, we're trying to make our budgets meet at the end of the month, it's, it's, there's less money there to spend. Right. And gas is gas. It's mm-hmm. a commodity. Whether you get it at the store on the left side of the road or the right side of the road, you're getting the same exact thing. Even if you're shopping for eggs, there's 20 different choices right. between size and natural and color. <laughs> and I mean, there's... You know, my wife sends me to the supermarket, and if she doesn't give me direct instructions on what brand to buy, I buy the wrong thing. I saw, wait, 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 stop, stop right there. That's awesome because I actually was at the store the other day. My, I had to go pick up some some stuff for dinner, and I and I, and you know, men are, and like Mike's to the point, right? Tell me exactly what you want, right? There was a guy in the store walking around. He had his phone, right? And he was walking around with his phone and his wife had actually put pictures of every item that she wanted him to buy. And he was walking down the aisle, matching up the pictures to the item. I was like, that's genius. Well, that's that's how we shop. She sends me to the store and I send her back a picture of, you know, whatever I'm looking at. (laughs) That's That's the way it works. (laughs) The death of men. Can we go back to gas for one second? No, we can't because we're going to a break, and that's all the time we got for gas. We'll come back and talk about bear market strategies. We've run out of gas. We've run out of gas. Uh, Be right back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com FAFSA it's FAFSA season that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid the FAFSA Thursday March 10th at noon register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show Welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, 6.33 as uh, we get this Thursday edition of the show. Getting ready to wrap up the week already. Second best day of the week. Mm -hmm. War in Russia, Fed raising interest rates. Still worrying about the January 6th event in Washington. And there's another. 
Yeah. Can we go back to gas now? No, there's we can't go back else. to gas. That besides segment's all over. Those things, besides all those things, there's one more thing that's been irking me. Why is the gas price in nine tenths? Why does every single gas station show the price as like 402 and nine tenths of a penny? Because it's cheaper than 403. It's psychology. I get it. How's that legal? What if I only want <laughs> one gallon? Okay, I'm done with gas. It is, it is what it is. It's all psychology. And it, used, and it goes back to the days that it, it used, gas used to be less than a dollar. So they do 99.9 cents, which was cheaper than a dollar. And right. that's that's where all that well, started. Well, you know what they're going to do with inflation now? It's going to be 99,100. <laughs> they're going to get true, us either. good. <laughs> When gas is nine, $9.99.9 a gallon, it'll still be cheaper than $10 a gallon. So see, right. there you go. Name, name another item pack, uh, priced in fractions of a penny. Stocks <laughs> used to be. Fair. So, <laughs> right. Used to be before we used went to through be. this whole other mess. Anyway, uh, bear market strategies. Um, I was talking about this morning is that this has been the perfect setup for a bear market. You've got war in Russia. You've got the Fed talking about hiking interest rates. You've got a reversal of liquidity. You're t talking about potential QT later this year as they reverse their balance sheet. I mean, the stars are aligned. You're overvaluated, uh, you know, overvaluation and markets and Yet markets are only down about 9% or so from their peak. Uh, markets are going to be up again today. And, you know, we're kind of working our way back up towards that 200-day moving average and that uh, downtrend line that we have from January. Um, but despite kind of the, you know, the world being aligned for, you know, a really great bear market, and, of course, you know, this has been something that's been called by everybody from Jeremy Grantham to John Hussman and others, you know, major bear markets coming hasn't happened yet. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you've got record share buybacks that continue to, to kind of come in and provide that underlying net support for stock prices, uh, really kind of despite all else that's going on. Now, if, you, now, if you're not in the stocks that have the ability to do stock buybacks, you know, like Apple, Google, Microsoft, et cetera, um, if you're in stocks that don't have that ability to make those stock repurchases because of lack of capital, those stocks are down 30, 40, 50, 60%. Um, they are in a bear market, but at the headline of the index, not so much. So, you know, this has been kind of a really interesting market this year. You've got, you know, underneath the surface, you definitely have a bear market going on. Uh, to, you know, uh, we picked on ARC before, but using it as a kind of a good proxy of that. But yet in the major indexes, the S&P, the NASDAQ, et cetera, not so much. Um, you know, so this really kind of puts people into a bit of a, a quandary when trying to navigate markets. If I, you know, if, I, you know, if I am betting on a bear market or I do think a bear market's coming, how do I start building and, and planning for that? Right. And well, Lance, what's even more interesting is if you look at RSP. So RSP is an equal weighted S&P index. Mm -hmm. So the S&P is weighted. So... Those five or six stocks, many of which Lance just named, what they call the fangs, represents, you know, a third, maybe a little more, a little less of the S&P 500. So the S&P is being driven by five, six, seven companies. RSP is equal weighted. So every one of those 500 or so companies in the S&P has an equal weighting. It's actually slightly beating the S&P 500 this year. So the average stock is actually not doing that bad either. But there's a huge handful of stocks that are just getting decimated that are certainly in bear markets. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of a, for the first time in a long time, I'd say a stock pickers 
you know, chance to outperform the markets, mm -hmm. right? Value has done relatively really well, right? Doesn't mean it's not down, but relatively well against the market. And the fangs, some of them, not all of them, have held in decently. But but there's a whole a, a large handful, right? The Nasdaq, what was that stat you showed me yesterday? Mm -hmm. Number of fifty two week lows in the Nasdaq yeah. is thirty beyond years, thirty year highs. Right. Right. Um so, you know, it's a market where you have to be a little careful and you there is there are some macro adjustments going on. Right. The small caps are getting hit pretty hard because they have much harder trouble dealing with a inflation. They can't pass it on as well. And B, they, they uh, struggle with higher interest rates. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of debt there and they get more affected by higher interest rates than the larger companies. So, you know, emerging markets and developed markets have had a rough couple of weeks because of Russia. Mm -hmm. They're much more a lot of those companies are much more dependent on what goes on in Russia and how it affects all of Europe or all of, you know, globally. So, you know, it's a time to be careful. Are we going to go into a bear market like Hussman and Grantham and many, many others think? It's hard to know. But there are bear markets out there for the mm -hmm. first time in a while. And it's in indices, you know, indices that are not maybe well followed. It's certainly in stocks. ARC, ARC uh, ETF, mm -hmm. what are they down? 40, 50 percent. I mean, that's a big, big ETF that's really well followed. So there are some bear markets. The question I guess we all have is when is the S&P going to be down 20 percent and quote unquote be in a bear market? Right. And that's that that's you know, that's what we're looking at. And, you know. We're we're looking at these technicals closely, right? I mean, we're 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 actually in a nice position right now where we know that where resistance is above us with the 50 and 200 day moving averages. We know if we're going to set lower lows or higher highs, and it, it, we actually have a nice little roadmap to see if this is just another bump in the road like we've experienced plenty over the last two years, or if this is the beginning of something more. Mm -hmm. And that you know like you said earlier you can't you can't fixate on the macro fundamentals you have to you have to put it all together and do it in conjunction with the technicals and what the technicals are telling you and and it's just like i said it's just it's a very interesting situation because if you know if there was probably any other point in history you know where you had the alignment of all these issues all at one time markets would be down a lot more um you know, but it is interesting because, uh, again, if you as you take a look today, as a matter of fact, the four week average of stock buybacks is at an all time record. And and, you know, the surge in buybacks, stock buybacks has really accelerated in particular over the last three years. You know, and it's interesting because these buybacks are coming at a time where earnings per share growth and it has been doing okay because of share buybacks. But if you actually take a look at top line sales, what happens at the top of the income statement have not really grown all that strongly, um, really even over the last decade. But over the last three years in particular for companies to meet earnings, there's been this massive surge in the corporate use of cash to do share buybacks. And, you know, we can get to the debate of whether or not that's actually considered a return of capital shareholders. But uh, the reality is, is that and that these are unproductive uses of capital. So corporations are putting a lot of, of capital into an unproductive use. It's a one-time benefit to boost earnings per share prices. 
because there's really no better alternative. Even even Warren Buffett um, is now buying back billions of dollars worth of shares of of Berkshire Hathaway because he's got no better use for the the cash war chest he's got sitting on the sidelines. Right, and his biggest holding is Apple, who's been one of the most prolific buyers of their yeah. stock. Right. So, but but that's but that's what I'm so that's the question. You know, with that going on, how can you as long as corporations keep buying back their stock and being the net bid underneath stocks, how do you have a bear market? So so of course you can have a bear market. And my article that I put out yesterday talks about bear markets. I look back at two thousand and two thousand eight. And what I wanted to understand was, what do bear markets have traits? What separates them from bull markets? And bull markets have nice, long, steady, low volatility increases. Bear markets happen quickly, extreme volatility. The volatility in bear markets, uh, there was a stat in my article, I think 70% of the the daily readings of volatility are above a volatility reading of 16, whereas 75% in bull markets are below 16. So, so you have a lot of volatility. Now, volatility means up and down movement. It doesn't just mean that stocks go straight down and volatility increases. Like what we're seeing today is extreme volatility where we're up 80 one day, down 100 the next day. That's extreme volatility. But what's interesting about bear markets is they tend to make their moves in large chunks and quick chunks. They tend to go down, you know, 10, 20 percent, and then they they stop, they hang out, they consolidate. In 2000, they increased sharply. There were a couple rallies of 80 percent, and then they go down again. It's a stair step pattern, but a much set, a much steeper set of stairs than what you see on the way up. Um, you know, there's that old saying, "What it's the uh, stairs up, the elevator down." Correct. But. You know, when, when you look at the first stage of a bear market, right, that's that's the denial. That's the denial stage of the bear market. No one thinks it's in a bear market, right? Throughout the bull market, you've seen rallies that have faltered and you've seen declines of 5, 10, 15 percent, but it always came back. You bought the dip and before you knew it, you were at new highs again. And that pattern persisted. In the, you know, when you go to your first down, downside in a bear market, that's different. Right. That's very different because it's the beginning of a in hindsight, it's the beginning of a bear market. Mm -hmm. So why don't we this is I think this is important to understand that first stage right. and understanding whether we're in that first stage. So why don't we after okay. the break, come back to that? OK, we can we'll be back with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Don't go away. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com fabsa 
It's FAFSA season, that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake. Our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA, Thursday, March 10th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Um, so just for the break, we're talking a little bit about bear market strategies and talking about the issue of kind of that first leg of a bear market and, and once it happens, because again, this has been a bit frustrating there's you know there's there's been a, a lot of commentary and we're getting a lot of emails of, of people wanting to be kind of you know all in for the bear market we've talked about making one-sided bets here on the show numerous times over the last several weeks in particular because this seems to be the perfect setup for a portfolio that's all gold and short the s p but that has been that hasn't worked out well um so far it doesn't mean it won't but again, this has been the perfect setup that you would think for a bear market that hasn't occurred. And the question is, is has it not occurred yet? And will it? Or is this time different? That's, that's always kind of the big question. So with that, we were just uh, left off in the last segment with Mike talking a little bit about this first leg of the bear market, which is really the most important leg when you're starting a bear market. It's that initial turning point of the market that then begins to break the uptrend and creates the first real leg down in a trending negative a negative trending market action. So again, Mike, go ahead. Right. So the psychology is buy the dip, buy the dip, right? Go on Twitter, you know, search buy the dip, and you're going to see zillions of tweets every day for the last two months buy the dip, right? Because that's what's been ingrained in our heads for the better part of the last ten years, right? Even after the uh, COVID stuff in mid early March, mm -hmm. buy the dip. It worked. It worked, right? So it's natural for investors to look back and see, okay, I buy the dip. And that's what they've been doing, right? They've been buying the dip, but there's been heavy selling pressure and it's been pushing it lower and lower. But you get these explosive rallies like we saw last Thursday, Friday, and we saw one yesterday, mm -hmm. right? So and that that's the nature of these bear market legs. And the first leg lasts the longest because it's got the most bullish support. At some point you sell off, you know, maybe it's the 10 percent and we rally back a little, but we don't hit a new high. And then and this is the experience of the last two. Then you take that second leg down and that second leg is what starts breaking the back of the bull, because then you got to buy the dippers that bought the dip and now they're underwater on the you know the stuff they just bought plus everything they held from before so their psychology starts changing and the psychology of the market starts changing and the psychology of those that are short the market they start getting emboldened like i got this we're now in a bear market so that second leg is usually twice you know half as short as the first leg again another sharp drop stabilization you can have a massive rally off that second base and then you get a third drop and a fourth drop potentially and those drops happen with less and less with you know i guess at a quicker rate potentially the same percentage drop maybe a little more maybe a little less 
because you're, you're eroding the base of willing buyers, willing to step in, thinking that this is the bottom. And you've basically broken the, you've broken the psychology. Now, the big difference between the 2000 bear market and 2008 is the Fed. There was no QE in 2000. There was massive, you know, QE was new in 2008. We didn't fully understand it. Yeah, but, but importantly, but importantly, in 2008, QE didn't start until early 2009. Um, you know, really, Q, the the first initial conversation about QE was in November, December of 08, and by the time they actually launched that program, it was January of 09. So that didn't, you know, that you were well into the bear market before QE ever started. Right, and now, right, we can debate all day how QE helps stock prices, and there's not a direct link. They're not buying stocks, right? But we know, I think everyone will admit this, that it helps stock buyer sentiment. They seem to think that it helps stocks, and that's really all you need, right? And and so what we have to contend with, with, you know, if we are potentially in a bear market, and again, we're looking at all these things to see if this is just another dip before we go back to new highs on the, the bullish trend that, again, we've seen for the better part of 10 years which could be, right? You can throw out the fundamentals because the fundamentals have not been great for a long time. Valuations have been extreme, right? We have to, this is where the technical analysis and trying to understand the psychology and behavior of market participants is so important. Are the bulls finally given up? You can see that in technicals. When you hit a period of lower highs and lower lows, so the market is kind of zigzagging, but in a downward fashion, that's telling you that the bulls are given up and that the bears are getting more emboldened, right? Those are signals, those are patterns uh, that we're looking for. When you stay below or above moving averages, when moving averages act as support or resistance, those are all signs of what's going on with the psychology of the market. And, you know, typically it matters. Like in a bear, in a bull market, when you're grinding higher, you, you know, technicals do matter. But it's, I'd say, more of a short-term trading. This is more of a macro secular move. Are we truly entering a bear market? And that's what we're going to learn over the next couple months here. And look, like you, you said it, Lance, the fundamentals fully support a long, drawn-out bear market. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. Right. We've been in those periods before, <laughs> and it hasn't happened. Right? You can say we're valued uh, for a very long time in a market. Exactly. Um, so, so what we have to really rely on here is technicals. Are we breaking any new ground? What are the bulls thinking? What are the bears thinking? How, what, what are the bets like? Uh, what parts of the stock market are doing well? Which parts are doing poorly? Right. That's one thing we talked about earlier. The highest risk parts of the market are getting clobbered. So there's clearly a move to be more conservative. Well, and this is, but, but, this, but this is also the real risk here that investors are taking by looking at major indexes, right? And and, and as we talk about this, you know, it, it's it's like yes, the S and P is not in a bear market, and there's there's a real probability that we could go through this entire correctional process and wind up with you know a ten percent correction in the index because the the majors, the generals never have that really big decline because they're buying back their shares or whatever it is. But the bear market's already happening, right? It's it's already happening well below the surface. And we've written about this before. And if you're in a lot of these stocks like the 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 ARC type companies, they've they're already down 30, 40, 50, 60%. There may be some great opportunities for, you know, buying stocks here 
um, because we've already been in a bear market, a devastating bear market for a lot of these companies. And, and now there's a lot of these companies that will probably cease to be in business at some point. There's a lot of these companies that won't recover because they were just massively overvalued after the 2020 run up. But there's probably a few of these companies in there that are going to be really great companies as they grow into their earnings going forward. But again, you're going to have to do your homework and really kind of dig through these companies to look for the ones that are potentially kind of diamonds in the rough, so to speak, because they've already been in a major bear market. And Lance, maybe we'll have rolling bear market through the S&P. And by that, I mean that the FANGs all do go down 20, 30, 40 percent, but they don't do it together. Right. Mm -hmm. Facebook's down. What's it down? Forty percent, 50 percent. That's one of the generals, one of the fangs. But the other ones are supporting it. So maybe going forward, Facebook does well and pick your poison. Microsoft starts heading lower, you know, and they they don't. The generals aren't in in line together. So, you know, this this market could play out where they where you're right, where the S&P, you know, worst case scenario is down 10, 15 percent. But the damage to pretty much everything underneath it has been much more severe. Mm -hmm. And that's right. You know, that's incredibly important to understand. Right. And it's also why, as investors, we need to set aside looking at an index and betting on an index to do something as a proxy for the whole market. That used to be the case. That's that's not the case now. And we've got to start looking at specific companies that and, uh, and to your point, you know, this is going to be the problem for ETF buyers who are just simply buying an index. And as long as the indexes hold up together and as long as you're kind of in the, the, the big macro indexes, you've done OK as an ETF investor. But if you're in specific segments or specific ETFs like ARC, you've not done well. And this is the, the opportunity for a stock picker to come in and build a portfolio of individual securities where there's real value and potentially a whole lot of upside potential that may well outpace the markets over the next few years. And you know, for the last decade, stock pickers have been you know, decimated in terms of public opinion by ETF. So just buy a low-cost ETF, you can beat the index. That may not be the case over the next decade. Right. I mean, it would be great, right? Go finally go back to a stock pickers market. I mean, that's, you know, I, I think that's that would be very welcome. That's where where people can actually do the math and look at balance sheets and income statements and pick stocks, right? There are stocks that are down 60 to 80 percent mm -hmm. that will be around in 10 years that will see earnings grow at double digit rates for at least the next five years. Now, they were grossly overpriced. So just because they're, you know, the, the flip side is, Lance, just because they're down 60 percent doesn't make them cheap. Exactly. Some of them, you know, we've been we've been uh, we're going to put out five of them that have high growth rates. But some of them still trade at enormous P.E.s and price to sales mm -hmm. valuations. But they're more realistically priced for future growth. Are they realistically priced enough? That's the question investors have to ask themselves. So just uh, putting a, kind of wrapping up the show this morning as we kind of look at, you know, the upcoming, you know, uh, Fed meeting in, in the middle of March. Then, and as we talked about here, you know, the market continues this kind of kind of consolidation, really. It, we, we continue to remain above those October lows. We haven't really, you know, it, it's, it feels, you know, this correction feels terrible because it's just like no matter what you do lately, it just doesn't seem to work. 
But again, just keep following us on our on our daily commentary. We put a daily market chart out every day talking about support and resistant ranges. If you haven't uh, subscribed to our daily market commentary, simply go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a big uh, black banner that says daily market commentary. Subscribe here. We email it to you every morning by 730 so you have it before the market opens. Update on earnings, economics, and daily market charts, other important tidbits about markets and your money comes out every single morning to keep you apprised about what's going on with the markets and how to invest your money better. But that, these are the things to watch. And as Mike said earlier, just keep a watch on the technicals and let those kind of guide you here in the short term because it'll help, help keep you from making a bigger mistake with your money. That wraps up the show today. Be back tomorrow. Realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Also, check out simplevisor.com. That's our fully automated digital platform to help you manage your money better. All your research, portfolios, and more right there for you. Simplevisor.com. See you tomorrow.